So about once a quarter, I go to the Helping Hands Sunday School class, and I talk with them about what's going on. Now, the Helping Hands Sunday School class, who in here is in the Helping Hands Sunday School class? Not many. Okay. You're not going to see many in here in the Helping Hands Sunday School class. If we were at first service and I asked who was in the Helping Hands Sunday School class, almost the whole service would raise their hands. Um, the, the Helping Hands Sunday School class is now a conglomeration of a number of different people because uh, there's been two classes that have merged into that class, but it also contains the oldest generation of our church, people who have been uh, anchor members of the church for a long period of time and who have served faithfully in many different roles in our congregation. They've sacrificed immensely. Uh, many of them gave uh, huge uh, financial sacri- uh, sacrificially on a financial level in order to see this new facility be built and to see the replant uh, begin to take place. And um, it's, it's amazing, you know, uh, looking at that Sunday school class and being able to just walk in and be like, that's like, it's a seed, and it's a foundation, and it's a, a core, and God's done a lot. And it's not just that Sunday school class. There's many others as well. But anyway, I, I like to go into that Sunday school class about once a quarter and just share with them what I see happening all across our church and then ask them, you know, what thoughts or concerns or cares they have, and we have a Q&A. Well, last time I was in there a couple months ago, I was just saying, you know, it's great. We see people's lives being transformed right now. There's a lot of difficult things happening in people's lives, but, you know, in God's redemptive model, that's all right. Like, difficult things are actually sometimes a great thing. Count it joy when you fall into trials of any kind because, you know, that's where he develops perseverance, and that's where he develops character, and that's where he teaches us faith, and it gives us hope about what he's doing. And that's what I've said. We've just seen a lot of difficult stuff happening in people's lives, but it's been awesome because we've seen God change in people's lives. And secondly, we continue to grow. I said, you know, just about each week we have new people stopping by, connecting, and uh, we continue to grow numerically. There's a crazy amount of kids here right now that we're uh, trying to figure out what to do with and everything. It's awesome. And um, I was laughing the other day uh, when we had uh, family fun night. Steph, you, were, you had... Uh, <laughs> Steph went to bed at 8.30 because she was uh, running the kids' programs. And, oh, my goodness. That was crazy. Yeah, so anyway, we, uh, you know, I was sharing about that, and I was sharing about uh, the fact that we have new ministries that are taking off. We have ministries that are being reinvigorated. There's people who are kind of finding their niche and their gifts. There's lots of people who are kind of on the fringe of that, who are like looking to see where to connect and how do I fit and all of that. And so I was sharing all of that with the Helping Hands Sunday School class, and it was, it was exciting sharing with that. And at the end of it, Rosella Latchall spoke up. Now, Many of you know, who has not yet met Rosella Latchell? Raise your hand. It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. There's like only a couple of you. Yeah, see, this is impressive. She's not here today, so I love being able to talk about her when she's not here. Um, you know, Rosella's husband, Bob, was the pastor of this church for uh, 40 years. And she um, <laughs> ran the church for 40 years. No, she... She was the uh, the hub. I mean, she's amazing. She had kids clubs and re- had a Sunday school class. She did children's choir, youth choir, the adult choir. She uh, ran a Bible study, a prayer group. She was the resident photographer. She was the recruiter, uh, all of these things. And so she's got, uh, she, she just has no shame when it comes to her communication. So I got done saying all this and she said, this is what Rosella says. All right, Tim, what do you want? What do you want from us? And I was like, 
oh, snap. Like, I don't want anything. Like, I honestly, I, I just came in to share with you what's going on, you know. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, what's next? What do, we, what do you need from us? What's next? What's happening next? And I just started laughing. And I'm like, you know, it's funny. We have been in this mode of change. Uh, I say for two years because that's how long Josh and I have been back around. But for some of you, it's been a lot longer than that since you started looking at the building plans and the transitioning. But we've been in this mode of change. The last two years since we've really engaged in the replant, it's been boom, 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 lots of stuff happening. And I came in and shared everything that was going on. And Rizal was like, what's next? And I was like, you know what? Truth is, is I'm like, there was like a list of things that, you know, we really had to work at and do invest into and, and transition. But I'm like, I'm just kind of taking a breath right now. You know, we're excited about the fact that God's been really transitioning us and we're just taking a breath. So I'm like, I'm not asking for anything. I, I ask, continue to pray that God will do what he wants to do and get to know, you know, new people and, and, and that's all, you know. And, but it was funny because coming out of that conversation, the next couple of weeks, I found myself looking around at church and seeing things that were happening that weren't plans that I had. It wasn't what I was saying. Hey, this is the next thing we need to do. You know, come follow Josh and I, your fearless leaders are going this way. It was more like we were looking around and realizing God's doing this stuff. And I, I, I'm like, if I want to know what's going on next, I better ask God because this isn't stuff that we've started, you know? And so let me give you a list of a bunch of things that I started to see in the next two weeks. I realized that Rosella, uh, uh, her, her statement to me was almost a prophetic one, you know? What's next? And it got me thinking and I started looking around and seeing what God's doing. So here's a bunch of things I saw. First of all, uh, you know, Dave uh, Willauer and the steering committee have faithfully been working at... Uh, looking at the next phase of our building project with the, the kids coming and with new people. Many of you uh, have joined recently. We have people joining today. Um, there's others who will be joining next time who aren't joining today. And as we continue to grow and as the kids continue to grow, our Sunday school hour, we're running out of space. Some Sundays it gets tough to find a spot in here to sit, especially if you're uh, coming with a family and you're trying to find a chunk of spots together, you know. And so uh, it looks like at some point this wall is going to fall down, um, like when marching around Jericho and the walls will just fall down. But at some point, most likely, this wall is going to come down and the building's going to double back. You know, this building was built um, with the intention of being able to expand it. And there's uh, the architect who will be here next week. Uh, there's He put a four or five phase building project thing together. And we're, this is just phase one, you know. And so if God blesses and we continue to grow, then there's continued building projects. And we'll talk about that. We'll have to discern that together as a congregation, whether we can do that and, you know, how it all works out and all that stuff. But that thing's been working and that's been in motion. That's not something that, uh, you know, Josh and I were like, you know what, we need a new building. You know, it was, it's just like this separate entity from, honestly, from, from uh, you know, the spiritual vision. It's just that as we've gotten to a certain spot, we need to expand. Um, another thing is, uh, Harry Yeager is a Sunday school superintendent and has been for a long time. He's overseen our Sunday school department. Uh, recently, a lot's changed in the way we do education around here. Uh, uh, not so much that we've transitioned the old as much as we've added on a whole lot of new stuff like journey groups and journeymen and new Bible studies and new Sunday school classes and all sorts of stuff. And, and uh, Harry and the Sunday school department have realized at this point, like, you know what, we were, we're not built for the way this is now. Things have expanded and it's time for some transition. We're going to have to figure out uh, uh, more of an overarching Christian ed department rather than just a Sunday school uh, superintendent. And so we'll potentially be looking at a 
a uh, director of Christian Ed. Is that what we're calling it, Harry? Director of Christian Ed. The Sunday school budget used to be a separate entity. That's being brought into the to the church budget, most likely, um, and all, all sorts of things like this that are. As we expand, organizational things change. The elders, it's funny, you hear us talk about elders. We have elders who for the last year and a half have really been functioning biblically like elders, like biblical elders. But the elders, if you look in our constitution, there's no provision for the office of elder in there. We, as we continue to expand how leadership works and how the organization works, it has to morph and it has to shift in order to, to be, the way that Jesus talks about it is he says, there's when you have new wine, you need new wineskins. And if you put old wine in new wineskins, if you put uh, new wine in old wineskins, it'll burst the wineskins and it won't work. And so you need new wineskins. And what we're finding is, is that as God is doing his thing, that stuff around here is transitioning. And because of that, the wineskins, the building that contains us, the organizational structure that contains us, all of those things are having to transition. Josh and I have realized that... Uh, that how uh, pastoral work is going to function around here is going to need to transition. I told Jen when we uh, moved here for and to begin this journey of replanting at Parker Ford Church, I said, hold on for the first couple of years because it's just going to be nuts, you know. And, uh, you know, our time, our family time, everything, it's like this is going to take an enormous amount of sacrifice. And it, it has been crazy, you know. I, I mean, our family life has just been crazy. And, but I said in a couple of years, things are going to have to shift. And we're getting to that spot where uh, the biblical picture of a pastor is actually to spend their time studying the word, praying for the flock, and equipping people in order to do their works of service. That's what the scriptures teach us what a pastor is supposed to do. But Josh and I have been more like church planners, running around like putting out all sorts of fires, starting this, starting that, just running like crazy, you know, uh, trying to, to be engaged in this replanting process. And when you see uh, kind of the, the work of a church planter in Scripture as opposed to the work of a pastor, it's two different things. And we, we believe that our roles will be transitioning uh, in the near future, and we, we've kind of seen that coming. Um, and uh, a few other things. There's some young leadership, even on a, a ministerial level. Matt who got married last night, you know, he's a licensed minister with us, and he got licensed this past year. He's been interning with us for about the last nine months. In a few months, his internship will be up, and then it's time to look and say, what's going on with Matt? How are we as a church going to help facilitate his ministry? How, what's his ministry going to be about? What's, what's going on with him, um, and, and what's the call on his life? Josh Hostetter is with us, and uh, he's a licensed minister. His, uh, we'll have to vote to transfer his licensing into this church um, this fall, and he is, uh, we, he'll, he's soon going to be done the licensing process, right? And then potentially ordination. And at, at that point, again, what's going on with Josh Lever or Scott and Lindsay Logan, who have just joined us today, seminary training, and Scott and Lindsay, I know they've had church planning on their heart. And, you know, they, who knows what God has in store in the future with them. But And we now there's all sorts of people who are trying to find their niche and their gifting. Last week we had George Ann Zvodar up here and talked about her as a prayer coordinator. Some of you have engaged in uh, teaching with the children and running AV and sound in the back or joining in the music and people in all sorts of different places stepping up into, into their giftings and their callings and who knows where God is taking us. But the, there's a common thread and a common denominator across all these things that 
that we see happening. One day, after like two weeks after Rosella said that statement, I was like, oh my goodness. When I started looking around and seeing all the stuff that was happening, I pulled a whiteboard out. Josh and I had our, sta- our pastoral meeting. And so it's, you know, him and me. And so I, I pulled a whiteboard up here, and he's usually the whiteboard guy, you know, but I was using the whiteboard. And so I pulled up the whiteboard, and I just wrote all the stuff down that was happening. And I said, you see this, man? See all the stuff that's going on? I'm like, which one of these things did you start? Which one of these things did you design? Did you make happen? And I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but something's going on right now. I just told Rosella there's nothing like next right now. And I'm like, I completely lied through my teeth without knowing it. I'm like, God's up to something. And it's like impressive to watch how he's working. And when we started like adding it all up, we're like, it really looks like what God's doing is he's taking us into phase two of the replanting project here. And as we talk about phase two of a building project, that's just part of phase two of the replanting project. Because as we might transition the wineskin of this facility, it's also transitioning how we function as a body. And you know, in the up, in, and out, in pursuit of God, most of this stuff centers around the in, the internal transformation. It's time where God wants to transition us internally, to build roots in us, to dig deep into his scripture, to form who we are as a community, so that as he continues to grow us and he continues to do mission through us, that he forms a solid foundation in who we are together as Parker Ford Church. And that's really what we see God up to right now. I sense that he's, he's taken us to a, a phase of intentional discipleship. Now, I don't know if you have uh, a definition, working definition in your mind of what discipleship is. I, my major in college was evangelism and discipleship. And I went through four years of college, graduated with a, a degree in discipleship, and still didn't have a definition for discipleship. And uh, I, I didn't realize that until a couple years afterwards when I was preaching a message on discipleship. And I went to define it. And I'm like, I never learned the definition. We learned how to do this. We learned all about it. We learned history about it. And I never learned the definition of what discipleship is. And part of that is because technically, it's not really even a word. You're not going to find it in Webster's or anything. You know, this is a church word. And so it's left up to us to define it. And I'm going to give us a definition right now that we can use here. And that definition is, let me think, hang on. No, just kidding. It's our journey to becoming protégés of Jesus. Our journey to becoming protégés of Jesus. Each one of us is to be a protégé of Christ. Together, the church is to be the body of Christ. We are in a movement from being our own independent, self-reliant people to becoming dependent protégés of the Master. And He wants us to become like Him and to do His work here. And that journey is discipleship. Discipleship is about transformation. He transforms us in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lifestyles. He completely transforms us. It's about letting go of what has been and embracing this new life in Him. That's what discipleship is all about. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. If we are in Christ, we are new creations. The old is passing away, and all things are becoming new. The truth is, is that Jesus, if we are in him, then there has to be the fruit of a transformed life. If we are becoming protégés, we have to be changing. So if I can say, I can say I'm a Christian, and I believe in Jesus, but if my life is not being transformed, 
then am I actually becoming a protege of Christ? Am I truly a follower of Christ? What we're told here is that those who are in Christ, we've let go of the old. Things are becoming new. Really, this is kind of like a reprogramming of our minds, a reorientation of our hearts. It's like the reset button is being pushed in our life. And we're not the one who pushes it. We can't push our own reset button. We don't have the power to change our own lives. Only Jesus does. He's the one who can change our lives. This isn't the church leadership can't change our lives. Our own personal disciplines can't change our lives. Our own personal disciplines and our faith, it's for one reason, to give Him control, to expose ourselves to Him. See, we need to submit ourselves to the Master and let Him do His work. We can't disciple ourselves. He's the Master. We don't know where to take ourselves. He's the one who can change us. But we just have to submit ourselves and open ourselves up to Him. Now, there's a picture of this in the New Testament. And, uh, and I, I want you to put your finger in it. You don't put it on the screen yet. I, I, I'll tell you when we're going to put it on the screen. It's going to be in Acts 2. If you have your Bible with you, you can put your finger in it. But before we put it on the screen and read it, I, I want to tell you about how this works. We have been raised in this culture and in this world. There's all sorts of subliminal things that communicate to us all the time. You know, we, the, the way we interact with each other teach us our values and they teach us how to live. And this, we are told in the scriptures that this world was taken over by the kingdom of darkness. On that day when we took the fruit from the tree and we began to eat it and we began to see ourselves and we grew in selfishness and grew in sin and in isolation from one another. And so all the rules about how this world operates changed and the social interactions changed and how we provide for ourselves changed and everything changed and the math all started to look different because we were deceived by the enemy and we allowed him to begin to define the rules. But when Jesus redeems us, and when he frees us, and when he, when he grabs a hold of us again, he takes us out from the kingdom of darkness and the rules of this world, and he takes us and he places us over here in the kingdom of light. And the values are all different. The rules are all different. Everything is different. But we were still raised over here. And so even though we're technically free from the bondage of sin and Slaves to selfishness. Working the reality of that out. That transition, that discipleship, that transformation, it takes work and intentionality. It takes day in, day out, exposing ourselves to the truth that Jesus has for us. And there's two places, really, where we submit ourselves to Jesus. Two ways we submit ourselves to Jesus. One is right here. We submit ourselves to Him in the Scripture. He teaches us about the kingdom of light in the Scripture. And it's up to us to know this thing, to read it, to understand it, and to shape our lives around it. Two is through the community. We submit ourselves to the community. We are no longer on our own. We are not just random solo sojourners out here. We're a part of a team. And God's called us to be a part of a body. And we learn to submit to Christ by submitting not just to what we need, but to what everyone else needs. And coming in as a team effort. And so the two broad ways in which God begins to wash over us and transform us and do this discipleship process, the place where we submit ourselves to the Master is by saying, all right, if you want me to go by your rules instead of mine, I understand this isn't going to be natural for me. It's not going to be easy for me. You free me and you're making this possible. But I want to follow you. And he says, if you want to follow me, follow me through this and follow me through this. 
through the church and through the book. That's how, that's how we follow him. This is how we submit to him. There's a picture of this. If you're in Josh's Acts class, you just read this last week. It's in Acts chapter 2. You can put this on the screen now. And this is our scripture for the day. So I'm going to have you stand as we read it together. This is in, verse, in chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. And he has called his apostles to come to Jerusalem and pray. And he released his Holy Spirit and power. And all sorts of things happened at the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people were added to their number daily, or added to their number that day. And so there's, there was about 500 of them or so, I don't know. And then 3,000 were added. So we're at like 3,500. You remember last week when we talked about the biggest church in the world, how big it was? Local church million people in that church. Now, this is the first church here. It's the whole universal church, 3,500 people. You know, it's amazing. And so it was small, and it was the beginning, and it was the seed, and it was growing every day, but this is how it started. This is the DNA of the church. This is the seed, the very DNA of the church right here. Acts 2, chapter, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thanks. You can have a seat. You see this? They are not individuals, are they? This isn't talking about this person over here who's doing this, and this person over here who's following Christ this way, and this person's interpretation of how to follow Christ is this, and this person over here, their expression of how to follow Christ is this. They were together. Every day met in the temple courts. They shared meals together. If one of them was hurting and needed something, they'd sell something off and go help the other person out. They were in it together. And even more, They weren't just randomly a family. It said that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is teaching of the Scripture. They were people of the book. People of the book. People, a community submitted to the Scriptures. And on these two levels, we need to learn to submit ourselves to Christ. And I believe that that's the journey in this replant phase two. God's going to teach us how to be a community. And He's going to teach us how to submit ourselves to Scripture. And it's going, to be, it's going to be a journey. It's going to be work. Do you remember um, a couple of years ago, there was this, there was this guy, uh, they found him. He had kidnapped uh, a girl when she was a kid. And then she grew to be like in her 30s or something. And he had her locked up in his home this whole time. And they had ha- ended up having kids together and stuff. And so she had like her own little family. And they were like in this place, this house the whole time. And then finally, I mean, it was like, unbelievable that they actually found this guy and they found the whole thing like 30 years later and they go in and they arrest the guy and then they free her, you know, and they bring her home. Now, that's an awesome story that they finally found the girl. You know, like you hardly ever hear of it like actually coming around where the person gets discovered. But can you imagine now, what is life like for this woman now? From the time she was a little child until the time she was 30 and had her own kids, all she knew 
was captivity. That's all she knew. It was life to her. She didn't know about what life is like beyond it. This was life. We have no idea. This is all, that's all she knows. And we have no idea when we grow up in this world that we live according to the rules of a prison. We have no idea that we're in complete bondage and that selfishness has owned us and that, the, the, that what is communicated to us in our world has lied to us. We don't know it. We don't realize it. But Jesus comes into our life and he finds us. And he frees us. And he redeems us. And he says, you don't have to play by those rules anymore. I have a life that's much better for you. I love you. You don't have to earn love. You don't have to prove yourself. It's already there. You're wonderful. But the transition of working that into our life, oh my goodness, it's so difficult. It's so difficult to see that happen in every facet of our life. And you see this happen in Acts 2, as they gather around the text together. And they say, you know what? We need to learn this Bible. We need to know it. We need to know each other. we got to be people who follow Jesus and follow His Scriptures. And we can't do it alone. we got to do it together. So every day they met together. And every day they were sharing with one another what they were learning and they were listening to more teaching of the Scriptures because what they began to understand is that they were not individuals anymore. They were one body. See, this is what we're taught in the scripture, is that we are not all each individuals. Rather, we are part of one whole. When we come into Christ, we join a body, a single body with many members. It's kind of like, I I, kind of believe that what God's going to teach us in this next phase is it's kind of like going to boot camp. I, I was talking to Charlie Baver uh, um, a few weeks ago, a few months ago now, about this kind of thought process. And I was like, what's boot camp like, man? And he's like, <laughs> you know, and just started laughing. And I was like, no, I mean, like, how's it start? Like, at the very beginning, what's it like? And he's like, as before they start, you know, kicking your tail and making you do all that stuff, like, what's, what's, and he's like, uh, you know, they take your cool haircut and, and they take your nice clothes and give you these other things. And I'm like, you, you become part of the team, right? And all, he's like, yeah, they, they strip you of your identity as a citizen. And now you are a soldier, you know, and you've been changed. You are no longer so-and-so, the, the random citizen. You are now a cog in the U.S. Army, you know? And, and so, like, this is... It's a stripping of unique personal identity. And one of the things that happens in the world, one of the lies that we've been taught, is that it is all about our own unique individualism, that we're independent from one another. That I, this, is, this is about Tim, you know? And my journey with God, it's about Tim and God. And what happens is, is when we enter into the faith, the kingdom of the light, is that he says, I don't see you as just each unique individuals. I see you as, as a unit as well. See, on the, in, the, in the end day, when there's the wedding, I don't know if you know about this, there's the wedding feast at the end day in, in heaven. And that wedding feast, the church is given to Jesus as the bride. And it's not that Mel Chrisman is the bride of Christ. You know, it's, it's not that Pam Havrilla is the, the bride of Christ. It's that the church is the bride of Christ. 
You know how there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? How many gods are there? One. You know there's Chris Rooney and there's Ruth Rosado, but how many of the body of Christ are there? How many brides of Christ are there? One. We are one. And if our spiritual journey is going to move forward in discipleship, it has to move forward as one. We have to begin to see ourselves not just as unique individuals, but also as a part of something greater. And my decisions about how I spend my time and how I use my talents and how I invest my resources should not be informed just on what benefits me or my own personal spiritual journey or anything like that. But how does it affect the team? Because we're in this together. I no longer live, but now Christ lives in me. Now, there's a caveat that I want to say about that. Part of the reason why we struggle with this mindset is because about 50 years ago, there was a real transition in the language in the church. You see, what had happened is, is that people had gotten to a mentality where they thought if they joined the church, that they were joining Jesus. That if they joined the church, that they were joining the kingdom of light. And so they're a card-carrying member of the church, like they're a card-carrying member of, you know, the Lions Club or of the YMCA. And as long as I was a member of this church, then I was in good standing with God. But there was a reaction to that, an appropriate reaction. And that's that the scriptures teach that we need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That each one of us has to get on our knees before God and say, I need you. I am desperately in need of you. And even if I'm a part of this church, I need to connect with you. And there's, there, there's no greater truth. We need a unique relationship with Jesus Christ. Our entrance into relationship with Him doesn't happen just because we join a church. It happens because we submit ourselves to God and surrender our lives to Him personally. And that's entering into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But when we move forward from that point, we cannot do it alone. And if we surrender our lives personally, it's not just that we're surrendering our, our, our lives to Jesus and now it's me and Jesus. It's that I'm surrendering my life to Jesus and to his community. So now I'm realizing that by surrendering my life to Christ, I'm surrendering my life to the family. That I'm surrendering my life to the family of God. And I'm joining not just Jesus, but I'm joining a community. Any of you ever heard of George Barna? George Barna is a, a statistician. And uh, he's, he's a Christian guy who does research all the time. He does research about how uh, people are thinking these days, what their mindsets are, what their lifestyles are, all sorts of things. And he does that about the church and he does it about the world. One of the staggering results right now in George Barna's research is when he does uh, studies on how isolated we are growing as a society, how every year we grow more and more isolated from one another. And it's amazing. We're so connected to each other. You know, it's amazing how connected I am to the world around me with this little gadget right here. I can find any information I want anytime. I can right now, I could, you know, chat with someone while I'm sitting here talking to you. I could be doing this and chatting to someone else the whole time and could pull it off. The ability to connect is phenomenal, but true connection is growing more and more distant. And when George Barnett does his research, it's amazing how he finds that the decisions that people make are less influenced by others than they ever have been. So how my decision affects you is, is much less likely of a consideration than it was 10 years ago. 
Now I kind of live in my own world. I have all the information at my fingertips. I go wherever I want. I do whatever I want. And so there's, I, I grow more and more isolated. It's about me. And when it comes to our faith, people are beginning to see their faith more and more as just private, individual. There's a smorgasbord of possibilities in my faith. And I select from this and I select from that. And, and I make the religion of Tim, you know. But the truth is, is that joining Christ has to do with joining a body, joining a church, joining a family. And so what I do this weekend, if I'm maturing in Christ, shouldn't be determined just based on what's going to work best for me and my spiritual life. But how's this going to affect the family at Parker Ford Church? What am I going to do this weekend? How am, should I be making this big, church, big purchase here? Or is there a way that I could better affect the family? How about my talents? I could use my talents and invest them into these other directions. But how does this affect the kingdom of God, the family? How does it affect everyone else? Are we a team in this thing? Or are we each just individuals in our relationship with Christ? When it comes to discipleship, part of becoming a protege of Jesus is to begin to live as if we are part of one body. And no greater example of this than Christ who laid down his life for all of us. If all he was trying to do was have his own spiritual journey and fulfill his own thing, well, he could have gone and been king and been Messiah all on his own without going to the cross. But in order to bring us along, he foregoes the easy road and he lays down his life. I think part of this discipleship thing is us learning to get our heads shaved a little bit and wear a uniform a little bit. And yes, we each have unique gifts in the army of God, But before we learn our unique gifts and identify ourselves personally, we have to be stripped of our personal identity and begin to be identified as just members of the family of God. And when we reorient ourselves in the family and say, you know what? Before I'm Joe Blow out here in the world, I'm just Tim, Joe Christian, whatever, part of the church. Now he can begin to show me what my unique gift is within that church. But first, I am a sinner like each one of you guys in deep need of a Savior. So shave my head and give me the uniform because I want to be in you, you know? And that's how it works, okay? Now, the second lie that we've been told, uh, there's these two lies. The first is that we're unique individuals, uh, well, that we're independent of one another. And we don't necessarily need to think of anything other than ourselves. And the, the, the second thing is just that we're the author of our own lives. And this is kind of how people view it these days, is that here's, here's the story of the life of Tim, Okay? This is how I'm going to live my life. This is what I'm doing today. This is what I'm doing tomorrow. By the way, God is the most important character in my story. So I'm going to write God in. Jesus is the God of my story. And the church family, they're my family, so I'm going to write them in as, as and, and I'm writing the story of my book. This isn't how it works. The book's already written. We're not the authors. We're just characters in a book that's being written. The book is already written. It's right here. We do have choice. We're not just... We are not just robots. We have all sorts of choice. But the choice is whether or not to come to terms with the reality of the book that has been written and the book that is being written. But it's not being written by me. It's being written by my master, by the authority. And so the truth is is that I have to get to a place where I understand that the reality of my life is not the Tim's religion, that the reality of my life is found in these scriptures right here. The only statistics that I found in George Barna 
from George Barna that were more disheartening than how isolated we're growing is how biblically illiterate we're growing as a society. We know the Scriptures so little, this generation compared to the last, and that generation compared to the one before it. I have people all the time who their lifestyles are going a certain way, and I'll have to say to them, you know, that's not good the way your life's going, and that's not the way God designs it. And someone will say to me, yeah, but like God would, he, I'm sure he sees it okay this way, you know? Like it's all right if it's this way. Like, and I'll say, I understand why you might think that God thinks the way you do, but you really need to read his book to understand how he actually thinks. Because we have a tendency to project our own thought process and what makes sense to us and say that that's probably how God thinks. Chances are, it's not. We grew up in the kingdom of darkness. He is the master. We are the protégés. To learn how to live the life we're supposed to, we got to know the book. you got to. It's how he reveals himself. That means we come to Sunday mornings with the team and we listen. It means we go to a journey group or a Bible study and we connect and we learn. It means we take our personal practices for, for uh, pursuing God and we follow the principles of studying the Scriptures in there so that we can really understand it. It means we grow in our understanding of the fact that the story of my life is not one that I write. It's one that He's writing. And if I'm going to come to terms with reality, I'm going to begin to submit myself to the story of God. All of this sounds pretty extreme. This isn't just showing up at church and saying I'm a Christian because I stop by on Sundays. It's about giving my life over to God. And he tells Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He tells us this in Matthew. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? I want to read you one passage of Scripture here to close us out. This is from Paul as he talks about our journey in discipleship. Romans chapter 12, 1-5. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Who do you belong to today? Who do you belong to? Who do I belong to? We know we're to belong to Jesus Christ, but what he tells us is, is if I belong to him, then it means I have to belong to you, and you have to belong to me. And there's got to be a way where there's crossover. Where my life doesn't end with my skin. But it invades your life and vice versa. And where the one calling the shots about how we live that life is not our own minds that have been informed by other things. 
but it's this book that tells us what he thinks. I believe that phase two of the replanting project is God taking us on this journey to be his protégés. And it's going to be about his book and it's going to be about his family. Let's pray.